When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined in our fancy virtual studio by Gorinda Mann. Hello. Hello. Welcome. So nice to be here finally. It's nice to have <laughs> How you. How are podcast. you? I'm really well, thank you. I feel really good. Good. Nice. Good. That's always a good way to start a Monday morning. It is Monday morning, people. Monday morning after half term. So the roads are hectic. Everyone is busy and life is just seems stressful again. But for an hour, we're just going to chill out and have a chat. You've got a nice cup of tea on the go. I've got a cup of tea on the go always. (laughs) Good girl. So shall we start from the very beginning? Tell us about how you came to be part of the worst girl gang ever. Oh, I've said this before. My questions, or this question is always really difficult to answer because I don't ever know how much to delve into. Like, I could do a really quick soundbite, but maybe I'll do a soundbite and you can ask further questions. <laughs> okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> um, so, I had a really rocky road to motherhood. Um, I had six early miscarriages, followed by um, my seventh pregnancy, which got to 21 and a half weeks. And unfortunately, I had a late miscarriage there. Um, And I gave birth to my daughter, Gia, um, who was born sleeping. Um, She was the catalyst for just so much in my life, so much healing, so much um uh, I don't know coming coming to terms with processing grieving like really doing the work Mm. to to comprehend that I was in my late 30s and I didn't have a living child um she gave me my voice I started a blog called Drug Named Hope and I started sharing my journey um and 
in my eighth pregnancy, six, seven, eight, yeah, um, so much had changed. And I think there was a lot of healing and release from talking about my story. And I went on to have my first living daughter, Simran, who is now five years old. And recently we've embarked on trying again and we unfortunately have had our eighth loss so we've had an early miscarriage again and I just feel like we're back into the world of the unknown and let's see what happens um and I came across you guys randomly just online and there's just something so endearing about you all that I don't know you made this difficult subject humorous and yeah love you guys (laughs) well thanks thank you so much yeah no it's it's nice but I mean it sounds like you've just had such a horrendous time and it's really interesting to hear you speak of your first daughter as a as a healing process because obviously the pregnancy didn't end in a living child so talk us talk us a bit about how how that experience healed you um so I didn't really talk about my miscarriages uh, my early miscarriages there was the you know odd person that knew about the odd one or my parents knew or my sisters knew about the odd one but I didn't really make it public it wasn't something you it's not wasn't something you you did um so I kept a lot of it to myself me and my husband dealt with a lot of it and it was only when I had Gia that it was like I'm not keeping her a secret I cannot keep my daughter who was born I held her I made memories with her and we had her funeral. She was a real person. And there was no way that I was going to keep her a secret. And so with her birth came, like I said, the finding of my voice. It was like that enough is enough. There's only so much you can keep private and you don't need to. So yeah, I started talking, started the blog, um, had some therapy for the first time. And I don't know I just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders by by speaking about not just her but everything that had happened before her Mm. and it helped me accept and say this is my story I can't change it I won't change it all I can do is face into it and say this this is it this is what's happened this is me this is my journey and it's made me who I am and so yeah there was all of those things contributed to my healing and my release. Like, you know, when you're holding things inside your body, that's not good. That's not healthy. Um, And so, yeah, there was immense healing in that for me. I think when you go through recurrent early loss, you um, people say all of the at least, and sometimes we say them to ourselves. So at least I know I can get pregnant and at least it was early and all of those things. And you just think, right, next, move on next. Let's try again. Keep trying again, keep trying again. And you don't ever allow yourself really to grieve because A, you don't really feel entitled to the grief because society says that it was just early. 
And then also you just want to crack on and try again. So when something for you, it was a loss at 21 weeks. For me, my my the time when I opened up and started saying, right, that's it. I'm not going to keep quiet about this anymore was my topic. And I feel like it was something sort of that little bit more significant that allowed me to have the voice and start talking about these things. Um, yeah, I think quite, you're right, quite freeing, right. isn't it? Yeah, and I think you're right. There's that you're on this roller coaster, and it's like, okay, let me just try the next thing. What's the next test? What's the next appointment? And when it was the early losses, I was just on that, and that's what was sustaining me. It was like there's still something to try. Let's go for that. Mm. Whereas after having Gia, it was like, right, just take a breath, just breathe. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to try the next thing. You don't even need to try again if you don't want to. Just give yourself a moment and yeah like you say it was really really freeing it's a shame that people have to go through well not necessarily people but for both of us we had to go through something even shitter to yeah to help us that to sort of give us a voice because people shouldn't have to should they people should be able to grieve and have a voice after one miscarriage an early one early miscarriage they're entitled to to grieve and yeah I think think that's what we're doing though isn't it we're changing that whole narrative definitely and you say like you have to go through something even shitter but but to to someone who hasn't experienced well to to someone like that that single miscarriage that single loss is is the worst the shit the absolute shit so it's difficult to kind of you know that's the whole idea of things are better and worse and different and stuff it's just it's shit and you need to be able to have the freedom to to grieve and and cope and manage and whether you've been through one ten ectopic yeah exactly that's what I'm saying you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to feel like you're at your breaking point you should be able to have that grief and to talk about your experiences the first time it happens because Mm. that's devastating too but we shouldn't be having women getting to a point where they, you know, can't see through to the next day to, to, to then be speaking about it. It should be something that we speak about all the time. Yeah. I think that's come, comes down to these types of conversations and, Mm. you know, the different podcasts, the blogs that everyone who is now talking about it, we're making it okay that it doesn't matter what you're going through, even if it's not baby loss, if it's something else that's difficult, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to feel crap. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel all of the stuff. And Mm. it's healthy to feel it and to release it rather than, you know, bottle it up and clog it up in your body. Because I I believe that becomes like stagnant energy and that's going to come out as a physical thing at some point. So um, I I think it's down to more people opening up, speaking up and creating these spaces and platforms that let other people, no matter what they're going through, feel it and, Mm. you know, feel okay with it. Whereas... as you say sorry Gorinda as as you say it's 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 twofold isn't it because it's that releasing it and and stopping it from building up and letting it out but but the twofold 
the other part of that is that by sharing your experience, you give others kind of permission to do the same and you give them the confidence to know that they're not alone and you give them that reassurance to think that, okay, I've been thinking such bad thoughts about myself for the way I feel, but now I've heard someone else is feeling that way as well. It makes me feel, gives them that little bit of reassurance and that that lightening, that that like positive kind of reinforcement that your feelings are crap but they are valid yeah completely and I think just as a society we don't we don't normalize the tougher emotions but actually that's they're part and parcel of life and um yeah you're right speaking about it other people feel that validation too that I'm not a bad person it doesn't make it doesn't it's not a judgment on myself it's just I'm going through a tough time I'm feeling crap I'm feeling emotions that I didn't think I knew were within me and it's okay because I'm going through crap and I'm a human being um so yeah I think there's there's a lot of healing for yourself and there's a lot of um it's like extending a hand to somebody else to say you're okay for what you're feeling too. Um, and I felt that when I wrote my blog for the first time, the, when I hit publish, the number of messages that I had from South Asian women saying, yeah, I've been through this and I've never been able to speak about it. I went through this and my in-laws blamed me. Um, so I wasn't allowed to speak about it. And just in those messages, I thought there is trapped there's trauma there's trapped energy there's emotion that you are harboring that you need to know it's okay to come out and nothing was your fault um and so I think there's yeah there's a a narrative within the South Asian community as well that that needs to change and yeah it's only when we speak up that that starts to change has uh, your support from from your family and friends been good throughout your experiences or is it something that since you've been more open they've learned a lot from you yes so since I started um speaking about it unfortunately a few people in my family have also been through late miscarriage now mm. and I've had family members come back to me and say um we knew you know a bit more about how we should be and that was thanks to you oh, telling that's us lovely yeah and and then another family member went through it and they're like, right, we know even more now and we're better able to support them. Um, whereas when I was going through it, maybe they weren't. And um, some of the, at least, or the, you know, it happened for a reason, all of those things, they they were said to me um, out of a place of ignorance and not knowing. Yeah. So, yeah, I felt really good in that regard that they're now able to just, you know, stop rethink reframe a question and or or come and ask me or come and read a blog post and then go back with something a bit more you know sensitive and helpful Mm. for the other person so yeah I I definitely think um it's helped friends and family having have this conversation with others that's That's so good good, isn't it yeah really good in terms of your early miscarriages did you have any testing at all yeah, I had. It's after the three miscarriages, I was referred to a recurrent miscarriage clinic and they did all the things they do. I can't remember the names of any of the tests, but um, 
what was revealed, I think it was after my fourth miscarriage, so while I was under their care, that I had a raised um, TEG, raised thromboelastogram. So all that means, I think, is that my blood was clotting more than it should in pregnancy. And the result, you know, the solution was simple. It was to take um, two baby aspirins in my next pregnancy. So, and I thought, okay, great. Like we've got the problem and now we've got the fix, the drug mm. that's going to fix it. And it's this tiny little aspirin. Um, but it, it didn't, it didn't work because we went on and continued to miscarry. So that wasn't the issue for me. Um, I also was told I had a uterine septum, which was resected also at the recurrent miscarriage clinic. Um, and actually for a second time as well under the NHS, after I'd had Gia, they said, you've still got this uterine septum. And so they treated it again. Um, and that was it in terms of answers. Um, I also had some immune testing done and all of that came back normal as well. So I felt like I was on this train of like, I need to find the issue. I need to find the thing that's wrong so I can get a fix. I can get whatever medication is needed to fix it and all will be well. And we didn't, we didn't ever get that. Um, so yeah, we were none the wiser, but, but in my seventh pregnancy, we got, you know, to, 21 weeks and in my eighth pregnancy we had Simran so I'd say there were lots of lifestyle things that I changed in those two pregnancies and I can only think they had a, a role to play um, and that was things like acupuncture my diet was you know on point all the supplements and all the things that we should be doing and having um, and in my pregnancy with Simran, although I didn't have what is called um, uh, incompetent cervix, I think they call it. I was told I didn't have that, but I was given a cervical stitch in oh, really? that pregnancy. Yeah. Oh. And also progesterone in the pregnancy with Simran. So, yeah, there were lots of things, but I we never got to the bottom of what. So why did they give was. you the cervical stitch? Just like doing everything they could to prevent anything from happening yeah so there were two at the point of trying again so when we got pregnant with Simran I had the choice of staying under the care of the recurrent miscarriage clinic or going with my NHS consultant and I found their approaches to be really different and I just went with the one that felt right for me mm. so the recurrent miscarriage clinic were not suggesting a cervical stitch and said no we're definitely not doing that because there's nothing to say you've got an issue there but they weren't um, doing anything else right it was just doing nothing different again. from Gia's pregnancy there was nothing different they weren't going to the only thing they were going to do which I felt was quite invasive was um to put me through it, it must have been IVF but screen the embryos and to just check there's nothing wrong um and I just thought do I really need that and I couldn't get my head around 
whether that was the right thing for me, considering we'd got so far in the last pregnancy and yeah, it didn't feel right. Whereas my consultant at the NHS on the NHS, he he just wanted to care for me. So he mm-hmm. said, We'll, you know, we'll do give you progesterone. Um, you can have scans every two weeks, and we will do cervical length checks, and as a precaution, we will do the cervical stitch. Um and I my gut and my heart was just saying that feels right for me. And yeah, we we had Simran in that pregnancy. So yeah, as we embark on the next pregnancy now, I will always go with the consultant that helped me, mm. helped me the previous time. Um, I think when you feel looked after and you have faith in the people that are caring for you, that that stands for a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't stress how much of an impact that had on me in mm. my pregnancy with Simran. Um, and, and I don't know if this is your experience, but in the recurrent miscarriage clinic, I felt a bit like a number, like they see hundreds of us who've gone through lots of Yeah, they're not shocked by it, are they? And, they're and not shocked. Think, Glad you should like... be shocked by this. It's fucking horrendous. And they're like, no, I've seen it all before. Well, they don't yeah. say that, but you know, that's how you feel. You, that's the feeling you get. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't like that because I wanted somebody to acknowledge and just validate that this is crap and I'm really sorry that you're going through this rather than yeah yeah I've seen this and Mm. you know like you said they didn't say it but that was the feeling that I got that I'm just a number in that side whereas my consultant on the NHS he cared he was like my gosh this is like awful that you've gone through this so many times and he it was like his mission also to get me to the end and have a living baby in my arms that was his like dream for me um and interestingly he wasn't I I chose to have a c-section um in that pregnancy and he wasn't going to be in theater the day that I had my surgery and he made himself available he did my c-section because he wanted to be the person to you know make sure she was delivered safe and sound and that stands for a lot. And yeah, that's amazing. I never forget that. Yeah. Oh. I wish everyone had that care though. Like it feels yeah. like I've just been really lucky in in having this consultant, but everyone should have that. Everyone yeah. should have that. And if you've been through a, a journey and a half to, you know, get pregnant and even more so, you need that person that, that cares that's on the end of the phone whenever you need them or your little you know the little niggles and the worries that you have that mm-hmm. to somebody else would feel normal to you they're massive and just having that reassuring person it's a lifeline yeah so you're back under him now yeah and what's what's going on at the moment I know that you had a loss in the summer yeah so we that was our first pregnancy since Simran and because I know that when when we met at the fertility show we were talking about uh like what do we do do we even do we even go down this route again like because mm-hmm. we know how awful it can be and um you know the the weighing up trying for number two do you know what that's a massive it's a I think people underestimate how big a deal that decision mm-hmm. is um and after we'd had Simran, lots of 
family members will oh, have another one now and it'll be fine now because you've had one and but at that time it was I couldn't I couldn't even enter the world of trying again because I've got this baby and I'm just gonna like cherish her and you know just be with with her 100% and so I think I delayed that conversation about trying again deep down I knew I wanted more children but there was always that niggling fear that I didn't want to end up back on you know this roller coaster and these tests and putting your life on hold because you're waiting for an appointment or mm-hmm. you know you can't go on holiday in case something happens then and so I, I delayed that for as long as possible and it was actually simmering um just a few months before we met at the fertility show Laura she'd said for Christmas she wanted um a baby she wanted mummy to have a real baby in her tummy and she didn't say it to me she'd said it on a phone call to my aunt and I overheard it and I thought oh my gosh is she actually thinking that because I'm secretly thinking that and then I had the conversation with my husband and he was secretly thinking that so <laughs> decision yeah, made <laughs> we're so doing she, this yeah and so she brought it out in us to sit and have the conversation we were like yeah we do we do want this and what are we waiting for but I think for me and when I saw you it was just all of those layers of oh secret fear because I don't I don't live in fear I don't want to live in fear but there's always that feeling of you know what if it doesn't happen what if emotionally how do you do how do you deal with this when you've now got a living child like if before when we were having our early miscarriages it was just us and we could close the door to the world and just feel everything that was Mm. coming up and I always had this in my head that if you've got a, a child to care for how do you process all of that stuff because there's a lot that needs a place to go do you do it in secret do you you like and I couldn't understand like how you navigate the struggles when you've got a child to care for yeah um and so then yeah now when we did get pregnant and we it didn't work out we've had to navigate all of those emotions as well as looking after a child and and how did you how did you navigate it I felt like I was quite underhand (laughs) with things. So when my little one started school, that was actually the week that we found out that pregnancy wasn't progressing and I needed the medical management to bring on the miscarriage. And thank the Lord that the school were able to, you know, put her in for full days because they were having had this elongated, like settling in period. And I thought I need her to be at school just so, you know, she's sheltered from the actual miscarriage happening. I don't want her to be at home. And, you know, without going into details with them, they said, yeah, of course, we'll have her for the full That's day. That's good. Yeah, it, it took such a weight off my mind. Um, and I was able to just be at home and take the medication and just, you know, be with it and feel the pain and have a little cry like I could do it but I knew I had to time box it because she'd be back home from school um so 
Yeah, I think we just managed it. I managed it the best I could. And I think with this pregnancy, it it went, the uncertainty of whether it was progressing or not went on for quite a while. So I think by the time I got to the scan where they said, no, it's it's not going to continue. In This might sound awful, but in a way there was a, a bit of a relief there that I just knew which way it was going. Yeah rather than sitting in this period of agonizing uncertainty yeah not knowing like you're taking your medication but not knowing it, things are, are because well. although you know it's not going as it should be they can't say it's definitely not progressing yeah. and and you can't just leave it a couple of days between these scans can you it has no. to be like a week or two weeks in between for them to be certain it's so long and drawn out and that I think was so long and drawn. You, all, you do have a tiny, tiny bit of hope, don't you? Even though you know that 99% chance that this is not working, but there's still a little chance that it is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be rescanning me, right? And yeah. that's exhausting trying to hold on to that tiny bit of hope for all of those weeks. Laura, it must it be such a, a, a horrible, exhausting. must be such a horrible like limbo land to be in. Mm. Like, how do you even begin to kind of mentally manage that? So I hadn't experienced that amount of limbo um, in a pre any previous miscarriage. Um, and the way I managed it this time was just being busy. Like I had lots of things to do. We had our uh, baby loss collaboration that we were doing. I had other things with my business. So I was just busying myself mm. with stuff so I wasn't sat here thinking about it but I'd find so my scans were always on a Monday and the Saturday and Sunday before all of the stuff that I'd been bottling for that week or two weeks between scans I, I could just feel it bubbling and m- most of the Sundays I would just have an outburst where I needed to cry or let off some steam or be angry at someone because like I was saying earlier that stuff needs a place to go and so yeah the Sunday before the scan I'd always have to release it and then I I felt like I was in a better headspace for whatever was to come um in the scan so yeah I think overall I just managed it the, the best I could and just lent on my husband a lot so during the period of the um medical management for this last miscarriage I just kind of said look if you need to take her to soft play at the after school or take her out for dinner or do things with her just know that you know I might ask you to do that mm. if I'm feeling the emotions or if I need a minute or if I need a rest and he was really good with that actually and don't think I needed to do that but I knew it was there as an option. Yeah. If I needed Sometimes to that's myself. Half the battle, isn't it? At least, at least you weren't anxious about f- having that time to yourself because you knew it would be taken care of. Yeah. But you're still you're still dealing with this pregnancy now, right? How long ago how long has this been all, all going on for? So we were told it wasn't progressing about 6 weeks ago possibly mm-hmm. longer um and then there was the medical management 
then we've had a number of scans since then to just check it's all complete. And every time there's always been something still there. So the, the first scan after um, the medical management, we were told there's an empty a collapsed sack. So we're, they were waiting for that to come away. Then three weeks ago, there was a follow-up scan and they said there's still some tissue there, but hopefully that'll come away with the next period. And if not, we'll they'll have to do a hysteroscopy to get that out. And it just like that limbo land, like it's like it's still ongoing. And I have a scan actually after this recording to just check has it complete? Do I need to go and have this hysteroscopy? Um, and yeah, it, and then what next? Like, what what do we do mm. if and when we're ready to embark on the journey again? Um, and that feels a bit, it feels a bit like deja vu because we're re-entering this system of testing what's going on, what do we need to do? Yeah. And I mean, you can either go in, you can just go again, go in blind if you like, mm. and just and just just try again, or change something. But you don't know what that is that needs to change, do you? Until you have the testing. Exactly. So it's exhausting. It is exhausting, and we were saying just before we hit record, so I'm turning forty tomorrow, and oh wow, I, yeah, I didn't think that. I would still be on this journey of trying for a baby at 40 because you don't, right? When you're younger, you think you, mm. you'll be done in your early 30s. Um, so, yeah, there's all of that that is, I'm feeling right now. Um, but, yeah, let's see what fertility at 40 holds. <laughs> mm. Oh gosh! I hope your scan goes well this afternoon. Yeah, sending you so much love. Thank you. I just hope it's done. Like it feels like it's just gone on for so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you've just got to. I just had to smile throughout it and just put on my hopeful head that no matter what happens, I'm all right. Like I'm going to be all right. Like I've got. I've been through it enough times. I've got the inner resilience. I've, I've got what I need to yeah. get through this. Whatever well, happens, we'll be okay. Whatever happens, either way, it's okay. Um, but that's not the mindset I had in my younger days yeah. when mm. it was that roller coaster of recurrent miscarriage. Um, so I feel, you know, I'm equipped whatever happens I still have my moments I still need to cry I still need to be angry I still need to do all of that but I'll get through it yeah well I just wanted to say also thank you so so much for the fundraising for the two spaces on the pathway to recovery yeah Um, that's incredible that's okay I'm so chuffed I'm so happy we were able to donate two places and a little bit more there's a bit more in the pot if you need it for somebody who um needs a bit of a top up for the for the course um, amazing I've made up people's generosity and yeah and you were saying that it wasn't just people buying the candles people just thought that it was a great cause and donated money yeah they're like can we just have your bank details and yeah, <laughs> popped a bit of money in there and you know it it, add, it adds up and yeah. considering cost of living and all of that going on like I, I don't know I just felt really touched by people's 
need and want to support someone else yeah. who's going through a tougher time than than they were. So yeah. And tell us I'm about so what else you have in the pipeline. So the Ebb and Flow Company has lots more purposeful gifting things to come. And this week I'm going to launch kind of gift boxes. So there'll be a candle in there. I'm going to do a, a baby loss miscarriage box as well, which will have your guys' book in it, um, journals and something sweet. But everything's, you know, purposeful in there because I've, I've seen... And I said this to you previously, like the reason why Ebb and Flow came about was we we want to do something to help somebody who's struggling, but often gifts can feel quite empty, like a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates. And when I was going through the tough times, it felt like that's that's not actually helping me. That's not helping me process all this stuff that's going on. I don't know how to be with it. Um so I just had this thing in me that gifting can be more purposeful and help us on our journeys. And so, yeah, everything in my gift boxes will have a purpose. And, you know, the baby loss one, your book is is a lifeline for someone and they don't even know it. And so if we can gift things like that, imagine the healing that is possible. Like we said at the top of this podcast, not when you're at your wit's end, but when you've had that first miscarriage, you can start doing the work and not feeling alone and allowing yourself to process stuff and have your experience validated by someone. That is a gift. Yeah. Right. And things like the candle itself, like the presence, the moment for yourself. I remember just being so up in my head that all I was thinking was the next treatment, the next thing. Actually, I just needed to be and mm. live life as alongside all the stuff that was going on. Um, journals, like I know journaling has got a bit of a rep. Oh, we love it. Yeah, but it's so healing. Mm. And yeah, so basically everything in in the Evan Flow gift boxes has a purpose and it's to help in some way um anybody who's struggling with anything mm. in life so yeah that's what's coming next um exciting yeah that's I very know. exciting yeah we'll link all the details in the show notes so people can come find you bless you thank you guys so much well no thank worries. you so much for joining us it's been lovely to uh, see you and speak to you good luck yeah. with the scan Good luck to scanning and have a bloody awesome day tomorrow. Thank you so much. I was saying to Laura at the start, just want a bit to myself. Just want to reflect. Okay. Reflect on the last decade because so much has happened there. Mm. And you know, when you feel like it's just a let's process and you know, not close the door on it, but just be with all the lessons that came. And then open the door to what is yet to come. And yeah. 40 is the I'm new excited. 30. I'm actually excited. Lots of people are like, oh my gosh, you can be 40 <laughs> downhill from here. I'm like, no, it's exciting. No, this it is, is going to be my decade. This is my decade. It's For my sure. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gorinda, yeah. lovely to see you. And, and you. Um, keep in touch. We'll chat to you soon. I will do. Thank you, ladies. Lots of Lots love. Lots of love. Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 
Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us, and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.